0: Renegade Paradise, the official podcast of the Charleston, South Carolina chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America. We're an intersectional activist organization working to build a society and economy run by the working class, a society that democratically meets the needs of the many rather than creating profits for the few. Members of the Charleston Democratic Socialists of America come from a broad, diverse set of backgrounds and tendencies within the spectrum of the working class left. What unites us is one common goal, to build a different world, a better world. We really appreciate you making Renegade Paradise part of your podcast rotation. If you like what you hear on this episode, please take a moment to leave a comment or rating on the platform of your choice. You can also find Charleston DSA on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and at our website at charlestondsa.org. Thanks for listening. I'm C.J. Bones, and tonight we're going to be talking about the recent election in Bolivia that has seen the Socialist Movimiento al Socialismo, or MAS, return to power. The MAS, led by three-term president Evo Morales, ran on a platform of indigenous rights, uh, Morales himself being the first indigenous president of Bolivia, economic justice, and popular democracy. In 2019, not long after winning a historic fourth term, Morales made the difficult decision to leave the office of the presidency. He announced his resignation on television, and then shortly afterward fled to Mexico in order to seek asylum. At the time, it was immediately clear that the resignation had been made under duress to avoid further bloodshed. On the topic, Morales was quoted as citing his, quote, Responsibility as an indigenous president of all Bolivians is to prevent the coup mongers from persecuting my trade unionist brothers and sisters, abusing and kidnapping their families, burning down the homes of governors, of legislators, of city councilors, to prevent them from continuing to harass and persecute my indigenous brothers and sisters and the leaders and the authorities of the MAS. End quote. The leaders of the coup included self-declared interim president Janine Añez, who swiftly orchestrated a brutal massacre of indigenous protesters in the streets of La Paz. To add insult to injury, Añez immediately granted immunity to all the soldiers involved in the massacre. I can't overstate the amount of U.S. support for the bloody coup here. According to The Intercept, quote, U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo at the time cheered the coup by citing subsequently debunked claims of election fraud by the Organization of American States, or OAS, and urging a, quote, "...truly democratic process representative of the people's will." Unquote. A year of political and civil unrest tore through the country despite brutal crackdowns from the newly empowered ultra-conservative Bolivian government. Morales supporters were attacked and murdered during protests as part of uh, what was described as a national pacification campaign that left dozens dead. Public utilities and resources were privatized as fast as possible and then sold to the highest bidder. MAS legislators, who had a majority in both chambers, were unable to attend parliamentary sessions as security forces could not guarantee their safety. The Anez regime even postponed scheduled elections twice. But when the elections were finally held in October 2020, Bolivians delivered a stunning and unmistakable victory for presidential candidate Luis Archa, Morales' former finance minister and the candidate from the Mas party. So, within a span of about a year, we saw a socialist political party in the middle of South America not only mobilize effective resistance against a U.S. backed insurrection but also return MAS to power. This was, without a doubt, a massive failure on the part of the US to further destabilize the region. Of course, there is still uncertainty on the horizon as MAS must not only rebuild what the so-called interim administration had destroyed, but successfully defend itself against further meddling from the United States in the future. MAS must also plan out what steps it will take against perpetrators of the coup and as of early December of 2020, has engaged in attempts to hold them accountable. According to Telesur, quote, the former deputy of the governing movement towards socialism, Lydia Patti, presented on Monday a lawsuit before the prosecutor's office of the city of La Paz against Luis Fernando Camacho and his father, José Luis, for alleged crimes of conspiracy and destabilization after the victory of former president Evo Morales' In the elections of November 2019, the complaint also accuses former commanders of the Bolivian armed forces of having committed the crimes of terrorism, sedition, and conspiracy, for which they have requested their immediate arrest given the danger of their escape from the Andean country, Unquote. So-called interim president Janine Añez is also currently in the crosshairs. According to a report from Al Jazeera, quote, Bolivia's outgoing parliament approved a motion recommending that ex-interim president Janine Añez and her ministers face justice over last year's unrest, which left around 30 people dead. The Chamber of Deputies and the Senate, meeting in joint session, approved on Thursday a parliamentary report on the massacres of Sencada, Sacaba, and Yapacani. Which, rem- which recommends a judgment of responsibility against Janine Añez for genocide and other offenses, according to the Senate's Twitter account. It presented its report a little over a week after new socialist president Luis Archa, the MAS candidate, took power, unquote. So there's obviously a lot to unpack with this story. Uh, we're going to be touching on issues of indigenous rights, agrarian reform, uh, the history of U.S. meddling in Latin American elections, uh, including toppling rightfully elected governments, the history of MAS, and more. Uh, So to that end, local DSA member Ace is going to be coming back to bring us up to speed on exactly what led us up to this point, uh, as well as provide more context for the circumstances surrounding the election, including the U.S. involvement, and what it means moving forward for the people of Bolivia. If you're interested in further reading, we'll post links to the articles cited throughout the podcast in the episode notes. So without further ado... Let's get into the discussion. I'm CJ Bones, and this is Renegade Paradise.
1: All right. Hello, I'm Ace. You may remember me from such other Renegade Paradise episodes as Solidaridad y Dignidad para Chile. Um, I am here today to talk about the coup in the uh, last two elections in Bolivia, as I was in Chile when the coup originally happened last November.
0: That's right. And... Um... Chile had its own share of uh, political unrest and you were right in the middle of that and uh, brought back some pretty uh, incredible stories and amazing experiences and uh, a a unique and interesting perspective, I think. Uh, So Ace, can you bring us up to speed a little bit on what happened with the U.S.-supported right-wing coup in Bolivia last November and kind of where things stand uh, as is right now?
1: Yes. So last November, I believe November 10th, um, Bolivia had an election for their president. And for 19 years, I believe 14 years, something like that, uh, their president was Evo Morales. And um, he had reached his term limit in Bolivia. And Congress decided to vote to see if um, they should let him have another term. Everyone loved him. They kept voting for him. Um, he was, you know, making amazing changes for the country, um, unprecedented, you know, um, reforms and things uh, in favor of indigenous peoples. Uh, and he was the first indigenous president, if I'm not mistaken, in all of Latin America. Um, and Congress voted yes, that he could have an extra term. And that was the um, cue, so to speak, for this this coup plan that had been kind of festering and waiting for an opportunity to strike. Um, the United States had been keeping its eye on the situation um, since uh, the early 2000s, really, probably the late 90s as well. Um, and that was when we, uh, coupled with uh, the Bolivian right um, and white supremacist movement there, decided to uh, do what we and they could to overthrow the um, Ava Morales, or just really above all, prevent him from uh, continuing to be in power. Um, So, what happened was the second vice president of the Senate, so she's not first in line, I think she's like third or fourth in line, um, came out and decided that she was the president. Um, The military and police forces um, decided to suggest that Evo Morales uh, stepped down. And uh, then the right-wingers started protesting and rioting in the streets. And from my perspective, I was in Chile, I knew nothing about Bolivia, um, but the first thing that I saw on Twitter was, oh, in Bolivia, the police have joined protesters in the streets. And I said, hmm, that sounds cool, but it sounds too good to be true. Um, it doesn't sound like, you know, this, these are the kinds of protests that I may be enjoying. And I was absolutely correct. <laughs> um, the police and the military were not loyal uh, to Evo Morales's um, government or the Moss Party by the end. Um, and they were actually several um, of their leaders were trained in the United States, but we'll talk about that later, um, to, you know, participate in this overthrowing of the government. So, Evo Morales decided that there would be no um violence and there would be no murder under his um administration. And so he resigned formally and left and fled to Mexico. And then Janine Anez's reign of terror uh started, along with Luis Camacho, um, who was one of the um key coup plotters as well. And um they began immediately privatizing everything. Um they were you know, taking out loans with the IMF, which if anyone knows anything about neoliberalism um, or just, you know, (laughs) (laughs) economics in Latin America, yeah, that's the last thing that anyone wants to do. And that's why, you know, that's one of the reasons why um, Cuba is able to be so um, sovereign is because they, um, you know, from the very beginning, we're like, we're not taking loans from anybody. We're not owing anything to the dollar, you know. Um, And that's what Evo was doing. Um, And, you know, he was just, keeping money in his own country and not allowing multinational corporations to come in and, and, um, step on, you know, put a boot on the neck of his people basically. And so, um, she began just reversing pretty much everything, um, tax cuts for the rich whole nine yards. And, um, then it got to the point where she was, um, pushing the elections back. Over and over and over again, and she kept saying it was due to COVID and all of these things, and it really just ended up in her being, you know, this tyrant, this dictator, blah 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 blah. Um, and uh, she, what happened actually with the protesters? Because of course, you know, the the MAS party, the um, Movimiento a Socialismo uh, party in Bolivia, wouldn't stand for this, and neither would, you know, the unions and indigenous labor groups and everything. Um, so they were protesting in the capital of, of La Paz, and what they actually ended up doing was they would block the entrances and the exits to La Paz like over and over and over again mm-hmm. um, so that no one could get in, no one could get out. And um, they, it got to the point where they actually forced Congress to pass a law that made it illegal to change the election date. Wow. But I would like to emphasize that riots don't do anything productive and um, we should, you know, (laughs) stick to peaceful protesting. (laughs) Um, And at that point, um, the election, you know, had to go on and they uh, had the election. And so the Moss party, which was Evo's party, uh, nominated uh, Luis Arce, who is affectionately known as Lucho. who was Evo's economist, um, from the beginning of his, um, administration. And, um, he basically just won in the very first round with flying colors. And that election happened on, what was it? Was it October 18th?
0: It was very recent. In my notes, I just have, uh, October 19th. Um, but that was like after the fact. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I believe it was mid October.
1: Um, and yeah, so he he made it in the first round, he won 52.4% of the vote um, with the uh, president who preceded Evo's first term, um, Carlos Mesa at 31.5%. And then the aforementioned Luis Camacho at 14.1%. Um, so the people spoke um, on yes before the election results were even finalized, um, said that Lucho won. And now Ava Morales is back in Bolivia, all in the span of a year. So yeah, that, that was a lot a to lot. unpack. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so let me just make sure that I kind of follow and and that I can kind of restate it a little bit for the listeners. Uh, so so two different candidates were running against uh, Luis Arto, uh from the uh, from the MAS party, and one of them was a former president, centrist uh, president that came before Ava Morales. Is that uh, do I understand that correctly?
1: Uh, yeah, there were two other uh, candidates as well um, okay. Ch- Chi Hyun and then this one person that just always like was dressed up as a firefighter in all those pictures for some reason, but they only got like, <laughs> yeah. one, like I don't know, like, like he was cute and all, but he got 0.4% of the vote. So <laughs> the other person got 1.6, but they stayed in till the end. I'll give them credit. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, nobody likes fires and everybody likes firefighters. So, you know,
1: yeah. In hindsight, he may have actually been in a minor, a minor, but it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> yeah. So Carlos Mesa was, um, I, I, personally, I would say that um calling him center is, is, um, nice. Um, he's definitely right as well. Um, and then Luis Camacho was one of the the Christian, you know, like crazy right, right people. Right. Um, so yeah, and um, Janine Anyes was actually running up until about a month or two before when she realized that she was so unpopular that in order to keep the right in power in Bolivia, she actually had to drop out.
0: Yeah. So that's why she didn't hope. actually show up in the ballot. Like she just peaced out and ended her uh, campaign like before the actual election uh, proceeded. Is that, do I understand that correctly?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, te- I think technically her name was on the ballot because she was annoying uh, and, and, you know, like withdrew <laughs> late, okay. but like everyone knew. Okay. So.
0: Cool. Yeah. That's um, that was a lot to unpack. A lot happened in the span of a year. Uh, so thanks for kind of walking us through that. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, U.S. involvement uh, in particular uh, with the coup and uh, maybe give us some specific details.
1: Yeah, so uh, as I mentioned a little bit before, uh, since 2002, um, um, the United States Agency for International, quote-unquote, development, or said, as I say, um, had been funneling money into um, opposition groups Um, and quote-unquote regional autonomy projects um, in Bolivia Um, just to do anything that they really could to oppose the MAS party because they knew that, um, you know, they were leftists and they were gaining power. And what was also really scary to us was um, agrarian reform, right, Right. especially as uh, the importance of lithium has been increasing, which, of course, we'll talk about later as well, Um, we were scared, and said uh, has been managing approximately 85 million dollars annually in Bolivia um, in the past, like five or six years, uh, just in programs related to, you know, security, democracy, quote unquote, economic growth, uh, things like that. And so, as I mentioned a little bit before, uh, what we have in America is uh, the School of Americas, as a lot of you may have heard of before. But if you haven't, it is a school where uh, the United States military will train people from um, the militaries of other countries so that they can go back and do our bidding. And what we know is that around six of the key coup plotters from the Bolivian coup uh, were trained there. Um, they actually um, leaked audio files of some of these people talking in the School of Americas um, like a day before the coup happened, and I listened to the audio files. They were hard to find, but um, they were like going so far as to say, like, "Yeah, we're going to get Ted Cruz's support. We're going to get Bolsonaro's support, and Ivan Duque, the president of uh, Colombia." And it's it's really eerie. Um, and in the beginning, when no one really knew about all of this, like. It's kind of like my instinct to assume that the United States was involved, but it kind of didn't really come out until a little bit later. Immediately, we recognized Agnes as the president, just like we did um, with Juan Guaido, one of my other very least favorite people in South America. Um, Very, would love to fight him in hand-to-hand combat, but that's a different podcast. Um, But yeah, so we immediately just legitimized the brand new government. And um, of course, above all, um, the OAS, which is our little, um, us trying to basically have a quote unquote European union situation in South America, where we can have all the countries combined, except it's created by the United States. So, um, they'll kind of do whatever we want them to do, or we at least have influence in it. And which is, you know, once everyone realized, uh, all the issues with that, they're actually started to try to create UNISOR and other organizations to try to unify South America. But they were asked to, Oversee those elections, the original elections from last November. And they were the ones who said, above all, that there was fraud. So they were like, AVO didn't win. A lot of these ballots were illegitimate, whatever you want to call it. And immediately the United States took it and ran with it and was like, well, looks like we've got another like socialist dictator in Latin America and blah, 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 blah.
0: Yes. Trotted out the same sort of plat, the the, the same sort of talking points that we've used over and over again to try to um, discredit socialist movements throughout Latin America. Uh, Let's kind of keep riffing on that. So uh, US Secretary uh, Mike Pompeo referenced Debunked reports of election fraud uh, by the uh, OAS. So tell us a little bit more about the background of OAS and, and specifically how this report was disproven
1: um, Yeah, so what I was saying a little bit uh, about OAS just now, um, you know, goal was to um, um, Well, to say the quiet part out loud was the goal was to unite the um, um, Countries of South America so that uh, they would all be on the same page with economic decisions, you know, under the boot of neoliberalism. Basically, uh, Bolivia never stopped asking, and neither did um, their, you know, other countries like Cuba and um, and Argentina, other left-wing governments in South America and Venezuela, were saying, well, um, we don't think that, you know, the OAS is telling the truth. We don't think that there was any fraud here. And basically, it was just international pressure um, for them to actually look into it, which, again, is is one of the reasons why it's so important to talk about these things when they happen, because the international pressure, you know, from, from the United States, you know, like activists and things like that in Europe and everything um, will actually get, you know, these things um, to be looked over again. Because if it's just, you know, like Venezuela who's upset and the people in Bolivia are upset, you know, people aren't going to pay any mind, but um, they had, I don't remember which organizations they had, but they went in and they, just did a full investigation of the election and they found absolutely no fraud. And this didn't come up in, you know, any of the news or anything, but they just decided that, well, wasn't any fraud. So maybe, maybe Agnes shouldn't be in power anymore, blah, 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 blah. And um she and the rest of the coup regime just didn't listen.
0: So let's zoom out a little bit and talk about how <clears throat> Just kind of the history of U.S. coups in general in Latin America. Um, has there ever been an example of a U.S. coup in Latin America that has failed like on such a spectacular level that has been repudiated so harshly and so quickly? And do you think this is a sign of decreasing a U.S. foreign power?
1: Um, so, we have had 62 that I know of uh, military interventions in Latin America. Damn. Um yeah, I, I have a little graphic that I have to update a couple times a year. Um but the only other one that I could say would be on this level was the 2018 coup in Nicaragua, um, where the Sandinistas uh got back in power and um the United States just led this bloody um attempt at a coup with right-wing death squads and the whole nine yards. Um but this this was pretty This was pretty pathetic on behalf of the United States. Um, And as far as a sign of decreasing US foreign power, um, I don't know if I can speak on foreign power as a whole, but I can definitely um, say that their scorecard for Latin American coups hasn't been looking very good lately. And I think that um, Latin America is noticing and I think that they're understanding that they have more power now than I think that, that they used to um and i'm hoping that the united states will just back off instead of just trying to be smarter about it but um there's so much bubbling up in latin america right now that if if the united states tried to tried to go into every situation um and you know lead a coup in there people would people would definitely start noticing more and um i think what we're going to do is kind of like run back and lick our wounds for a little while um and i guess see what happens after that
0: Yeah, I mean, we've never really stopped uh, trying to influence Central America and and South America. Um, And we just have this awful history of trying to crush leftist movements everywhere we can around the world. Like we've been pretty explicit about it. So, yeah, I I see what you mean. I don't see us... uh, taking this lying down. Um, It's definitely kind of a PR nightmare, I guess, for the U.S. at the moment. I am kind of interested to see how this plays out under um, the Biden administration. Um, I don't expect it to be any different. You know, it'll probably be a a kind of kinder, gentler uh, imperialism, you know. But uh, yeah, I definitely see where you're coming from. I don't think we've seen the last of uh, our attempt to destabilize Bolivia. One thing that really stood out to me while kind of doing my homework about this is um, just the resounding and repeated success that Evo uh, Morales's uh, presidency and, you know, to a greater extent, uh, MAS has had by just about every metric. Um, you know, you had said earlier, after decades of instability, uh, MAS ushered in a stable democracy, economic growth, and a focus on distributing some of the benefits of that economic growth towards indigenous people who really got the short end of the stick for so long in Bolivia. So what do you think this says about the myths that uh, neoliberal imperialists continue to perpetuate um, about socialist governments and broader leftist movements in 2020?
1: I just think that it proves that um, so much of... Mostly everything that we say about countries, especially in Latin America with socialist governments, is is pretty much just propaganda. It's just neoliberal and capitalist propaganda. Um, because I, as well, when I was doing um, more research into Evo's presidency, um, realized like I, I was I couldn't find anything wrong with him. Honestly, Man. like like he did so much and it was so good. He was standing up from everyone to Obama. Um, about like like coca farming, all the way to just giving indigenous people their land back. Like it was just it was just like he even turned um, El Alto, which is an outskirt kind of of uh, Bolivia or of La Paz, um, it, that used to be like an indigenous slum almost into like this thriving city. Except normally when that happens, you think gentrification. Except no, it's the same people right. that are still living there. Yeah, it's just a much better place to live, and it's just like. And it's it so frustrating and it must be hard. It must be hard to be told to sit down and write a terrible article about Evo Morales. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> like, I don't I'm know how saying. you do it.
1: <laughs> like but, but like, and like, of course what they latched onto was, oh sweet. Like he's trying to be a dictator. This is the only bad thing we can get on this dude. <laughs> like yeah. is what I imagine went through, went through their heads. Um, one of the big things that he did uh, for Bolivia, which is, which I guess is, is sometimes overlooked was um, energy and economic sovereignty. For for the people, with all the nationalization that he was doing and things like that, they were um, increasing uh, revenue exponentially for their oil, and they're not an oil country, you know. Um, but they were just increasing it by by millions and then billions, just even in the very beginning of his presidency when he was um, when he was first doing all this. So, yeah, I mean, I think that especially now, since we have you know the internet and social media, where you can learn. Um, what's actually going on in these countries? I think it's going to be a lot harder for um, our media and everything to continue to demonize it there's a there's a tweet about um, from the New York Times where they shared their article about Evo Morales right when he got back to Bolivia uh, and they said Bolivia's former president uh, Evo Morales returned to the country on Monday a year after his failed attempt to keep power tore the nation apart and sent him into exile. <laughs> It's laughable, but I saw it, and of course I got very angry. But I looked at the replies, and they're all saying like, "This is bullshit. You're bullshitting us. Like, stop acting like this. You're the ones that had to go back and make a whole article about how you screwed up on saying that there was fraud." And like, it made me like excited because everyone was just like, "No, no, sorry, we're not standing for this. We're not taking this lying down."
0: It is interesting how you're talking about uh, these these countries in Latin America, you know, that have fairly large uh, oil supplies, obvious, obviously Bolivia not being as large as, say, Venezuela or Brazil. Um, but if you look how we treat Brazil versus how we treat Venezuela, and they are, I think, number one and number two, respectively, um, uh, when it comes to production uh, in South America, it's, it's very interesting and very telling, I think, um, to see how the United States uh, treats both of those countries, like Venezuela has been, you know, uh, our our scapegoat for basically everything. Oh yeah, <laughs> for for long before Donald Trump came into power. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's 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 real, uh, real fucking fascinating. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um. And and I think you could probably agree with me on this one. Um. You know when. Those of us on on the left here in the imperial core, you know, we run into things like this, we run into articles like this, we always need to remember that uh, the US and, and its, its media and its allies are going to do everything they can to try to discredit um, any sort of political or economic success. Uh, coming from socialist governments regardless of, of whether or not uh, they line up with facts I mean the way the the headline that you had just shared earlier was like pretty tortured logic Oh, yeah, uh, so yeah it, It's always important for us to kind of keep an eye out and and for us to do our homework and to find out like hey Where does it where exactly does this come from? What do, what do they mean dictator? What actually things what what actual things and, and policies as has this person uh, pushed During some of my research, the thing that kept coming up most often was uh, criticisms from, in some cases, some of his allies, critical of his decision to secure, like, permission from the high courts, basically, to seek a fourth term, uh, despite a constitutional term limit. But, you know, you and I were just talking about it, and not only did he win a third term uh, very successfully, but uh, also it's just been recently proven Moss has won a fourth term with a very large majority. And, you know, the people of Bolivia have spoken. It's amazing how, how U.S. imperialists and our allies try, you know, we try to trump up democracy and we, and we try to talk about how great democracy is. And then we go and sabotage, you know, a, a country's actual real attempt at securing democracy and, and economic equality and freedom. And all we do is just try to destabilize it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah run him out of power
1: exactly and i mean I know, like like if you want to have a conversation about how Avo shouldn't have you know like shouldn't have seat another term like i'll have a conversation with you because i'm not really sure why he didn't just you know have lucho run like he just did you know right um, i wouldn't have given anyone that window of opportunity but um it happened and he did it because it, everyone loved him yeah. And it's and like, you know, they clearly prove like regardless of whether, you know, there's a term limit the entire like the country still voted for him. So,
0: yeah. So so any criticism kind of is at a moot point, obviously, you know, when when there's been such a broad supportive coalition be, behind uh, Moss uh, and and the reason that's there, I think. And, and you know, if, if I'm missing something, please let me know. I think it's because there is this dedication to economic justice to putting resources in the hands of people that need it the most. Like it's not just empty words.
1: Absolutely. And even on a global scale, um, Bolivia at one point went to the UN, um, to say, you know, Hey, like we, we have this proposal. Um, water should be like a fundamental human right. Like for everyone. And what a concept. Um, I know. Yeah, it was weird, (laughs) but, um, everyone backed the proposal except two countries Oh, boy. It's, we go. Uh, um abstained, if you can call the second one even a country, the United States and
0: Israel.
2: <laughs>
1: I mean, occupied Palestine. I apologize. Well, I was well, up well.
0: <laughs> I was about to say we we could use countries in quotation marks, but I think you you knocked it out of the park there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, there are only two that abstained. so that's cool and fun. Um,
0: <laughs> oh, man. So we, we've been talking a lot about the Movimiento al Socialismo. Uh, can you give us a brief primer on their origins in the 80s and the, and the 90s?
1: Yeah. So uh, Moss was um, officially founded in 1998, but it started um, as the result of indigenous uh, union workers basically um, doing some political organizing at that point under Mesa and whoever uh, preceded him. In 1977, we couped Bolivia for the first time, Um, and there was a dictator and all that. So after, quote unquote, democracy was restored, which just meant the beginning of neoliberalism, uh, all of the mines were privatized, Um, which, you know, was also happened during the dictatorship. So when the mines were privatized, there was mass unemployment. Right. And miners left the mines and went to the countryside and became farmers. And a lot of them uh, became coca farmers. And, you know, indigenous people have been farming coca for thousands of years. Um, They use it for tea. They use it for altitude sickness, all these kinds of things. Yeah, Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say that Ava was a coca farmer.
0: Yeah. And and, uh, I don't think that can be overstated, right? Like the the, um, connection that indigenous people in, in that part of South America have to, uh, cocoa farming, like is so critical. Like, I think the the quickest and easiest analogy I can make in North America is like, you know, Plains Indians might have to the Buffalo. It's it so critical, uh, to, to day to day life amongst, uh, indigenous folks of the region. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um, and that was, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, neoliberal media and things like that used against Evo, they were like, oh, he's just, he's just farming. He's just, you know, trying to make cocaine, like blah, 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 blah. Um, You see, he even admits that he was a cocoa farmer and he was like, do you know what you're talking about? Um, But basically um, they, you know, indigenous people are very communal. They believe in collectivism, all those wonderful things um, that, you know, us living in capitalist America have to learn ourselves later in life, um, under, you know, books of communism and things like that. Um, they were forming really strong unions, uh, as coca farmers, um, but also as miners. So when they were miners, they had all these unions and then they brought these habits with them when they became coca farmers. As
0: they, they brought kind companies. of those organizing skills from one industry to the next, basically. Right. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They're like, all right, well we were forced out of mining. Now we're farmers we got to organize here too. And uh, that was when the Cocaleros were formed. Um, And then this is the union that they eventually pushed Evo to become the leader of. So this was his very first, um, you know, leadership position really, um, before, you know, he became president. Um, The Cocaleros and other unions um, formed in uh, 1998 to create MAS. And that's kind of where that started one of our uh, lovely, uh, Congress people here in America referred to, um, ah, Jose Roche referred to Avo as the Andean bin Laden, Oof. um, in 2002, uh, he's a U.S. ambassador. Um, and all of the Bolivians were like, wait, who's this, who's this Avo guy you know, The people didn't know? They're like, why are they calling him this? Like, what's going on? What, there's a new political party. That's interesting. And, um, It actually just grew his popularity because they were like, that's the dumbest thing we've ever heard. So it was like this publicity that he got and kind of helped the party get off the ground. It was really a turning point um, above all for the potential of him to even become president because Moss was at the point where they were like, all right, like we want, you know, we want to actually put, you know, uh, um, a candidate up for president. And then um, indigenous workers uh, in their unions and as a part of MAS would actually march hundreds of miles to the capital to demand equal rights and land rights specifically because um, agrarian reform died when neoliberalism was born.
0: We're going to talk a little bit more about that um, because I feel like that's really important for us to to get our heads around and how important it is uh, for broader left movements in in that part of Latin America. You had talked a lot about um, the origins of MAS uh, and uh, kind of how uh, uh, indigenous and labor movements became a part of that. Let's kind of talk a little bit more about just sort of the culture of the left uh, in Bolivia. Let's talk about the Wafala uh, the flag of Indigenous peoples throughout the uh, Andes region. Um, so it's it's a really striking design. I've seen a lot of it in uh, on in like tweets specifically regarding uh, you know the uh, the coup. Uh, what does the colorful patchwork design uh, represent? And and maybe talk a little bit about how it came to be used.
1: Um, it's a beautiful flag. I love it so much. Um, I love that it's a square, not a rectangle. Um, But I have here uh, the significance of each color on the flag, which I'm excited about. Oh, yes. Um, So the red symbolizes earth and the Andean man. Uh, Orange is for society and culture. Yellow is for energy and strength. White signifies time and change. Green stands for natural resources Blue stands for the cosmos, which I love so much. Oh,
0: nice. And
1: purple stands for Andean government and self-determination. Ah. How can you not love that flag? I love that, yeah. Oh, self-determination, the Andean government, that got me so good. when I was like, whoa. Um, but it is beautiful, and it's been used um, in the region for, for a very long time. It um, uh, was originated... Um, Right, sounds Well, actually, so I do have to debunk something. So the Wafala flag is not the flag of all of the Andean indigenous people. Okay. Um, it is not used by uh, some of the indigenous peoples in Peru. And the Mapuche people of Chile have their own flag, which is really cool. And you should all look it up. The Wafala design... Um, was actually from around 1500 BC to a uh, or to wow. 1180
0: thanks for uh, clarifying like kind of where it's it's used and, and where it's most common
1: oh yeah for sure
0: yeah the, the research I had done just sort of said throughout the Andes and I'm like all right that's kind of vague but it's a start
1: yeah I'm so sure like it's just... correct yeah. um, but it's it includes um. Peru, Bolivia, Ecuador, and parts of Argentina, parts of Chile, and parts of Colombia, because there are, you know, the indigenous people didn't pay attention to the borders that we were eventually, going <laughs> to, you know, so um, yeah. not all of the indigenous people in Chile and Argentina are Mapuche and all those things, but. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, the oldest surviving example of the Wafala design uh, corresponds to a type of bag that was used for coca, Um, that corresponds to the Tiwanaku culture from um, 1580 BCE to 1187 CE. And then in 2009 was when Evo Morales decided that it was going to be the um, official variant flag of Bolivia. So Bolivia officially has two flags. uh, Their other one is horizontal and it's red, yellow, and green and um, then they have the Wafala flag. And so they're also um, officially, uh, I forget the word for it, like a like a Plurian nation where they've kind of decided that they aren't just, you know, Bolivia, like the post-colonial Bolivia, they're also, you know, the um, indigenous like nations within it. And I found the term, they're um, officially
0: a plurinational state. Plurinational state, okay. Well, I, I learned, uh, learned something new tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing about uh, Renegade Paradise is, is we learn while we uh, do these interviews and, and <laughs> you get a little bit of anthropology and art history uh, as well as your political <laughs> theory. Uh, of course, of course. Yeah. Bringing it back to uh, 2020, Evo Morales blamed not only uh, the United States for basically like giving tacit approval uh, to the right-wing coup leaders... Um, but also attributed the coup uh, basically to the fact that we were angry over Morales' decision uh, to sell a bunch, of the, uh, a bunch of Bolivia's valuable lithium supply to China. Quickly talk about how, uh, in situations like this, political decisions um, and economic decisions go hand in hand uh, when the U.S. and its allies instigate, coup, uh, instigate coups against successful socialist governments.
1: Yeah. So um, socialist governments have to be very careful with their uh, global economics um, so they don't piss off the wrong person, which I guess you could say that about all countries, but um, socialist countries, especially. Uh, yeah. So uh, China is nice to Bolivia and the United States isn't. And so they said, you can have some of our lithium. They don't own a uh, a large portion of it. It's like definitely under 50%. They own 60 over 60% of uh, Chile's lithium, but, um, they, um, yeah, they sold them some and AVO has always um been standing up to the United States, you know, on, on, on econ- on an economic scale.
0: Hmm. I think, um, I remember, Oh, oh go ahead.
1: Oh no. What were you going to say?
0: I was just saying um, the the thing that I keep kind of coming back to is you know uh, Elon Musk's shitty tweet. Oh, okay. Oh, but that's I'm sure right, you that, had I'm sure you had something more substantial to say. I'm oh
1: sorry. no, because that was I'll cool see. as shit. Okay, I forgot. <coughs> I thought that was like actually in a question, and it's in. Okay, so anyway, so let's get back to that. Yeah. Um, as we all know, lithium is very important to a certain company called Tesla and a certain man. Called Elon Musk. Lithium is also used um, to make our phone screens touchy. I'm pretty sure is the correct terminology for that. <laughs> but, <Touchy>. um, <laughs> um,
0: yeah, it makes our phone screens really touchy. that yeah. just pissed off about everything all the time. Yeah, <laughs> but like like stop. But um, <laughs> um, it's because
1: it's because um, uh, we haven't we don't have that good Bolivian lithium. As
2: well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so it.
0: but Bolivian
1: lithium. <laughs> that makes the best phone screens. It's um, crazy, um, but yeah, so, uh, Elon Musk decided this past summer to bust into Twitter and like, say, we will coup whoever we want. Um, end quote. When someone asked him about, um, you know, the, how the lithium in Bolivia immediately started being sold to Tesla and whoever else, um, right when, uh, Agnes became president. And, um, Everyone was super shocked. I mean, I don't really know what goes through that man's head a lot of the time. Um, I think he thinks he can just, like, say shit. But, like, that's a, that's a big deal. Like, that's just, like, he could have just tweeted, I don't give a shit about the developing world and fuck brown people. Um, but I guess he just, you know, he decided to keep it short and sweet. And Avo actually brought it up in an interview lately. And he's been kind of, like, no filter lately. And I love him. <laughs> like, I love, like, he's been, like, calling people out. But um, he did this interview and he was like, yeah, Elon Musk publicly admitted to cooing my country. I was like, "Ooh, (laughs) like, bro. But um, yeah. And it's like, you know, you can say that all you want, but um, it didn't work. Um, But yeah, basically, you know, when you've got even you've got oil and when you've got things like lithium, um, you've got to be super careful. And uh, Venezuela has a huge issue with their oil because they have tons of crude oil. Um, that you know they're exporting, but they have to import refined oil because all of the sanctions and multinational corporations and you know people who like Juan Guaido basically won't even allow them to create or at least nationalize oil refineries. So it's like they have ev- they have like the resources they need to become not only economically but energy sovereign but they can't do it because of neoliberalism. And so they're literally importing oil from Iran. And then like the tankers are getting like attacked and stuff or like or like blockaded and everything and it's growing crazy. So um, it may, I don't know if it just seems hopeless. I don't know if you just have to be really careful or I don't know if you have to have just a really good economist like Lucho Arce Um, in order to, you know, participate in global economics and still keep your country running as a socialist nation. And, you know, Evo was doing a really great job the whole time, but even just the fact that he ended up having to sell some of the lithium to China meant that international pressure was kind of getting to him because I know that he would have wanted to have it just all nationalized and everything. Um, But, you know, he probably needed to import more things than he expected, and um, China was offering him a deal. But they say that Lucio Arce or they give him credit for what they call the Bolivian miracle, which is the, um, the insane increase in, like, um, or the insane, I can't think of the word in English, improvement, there you go, um, for Bolivia's economic situation. But at first, um, when Evo originally was in power, Bolivia was last in economic growth in all of South America. Hmm. In fact, that was for the first six years or sorry, for six of the 14 years that he was in power, Bolivia was in first place for economic growth. Hmm. That's insane. Yeah. That's insane. And yeah. that was Lucho, you know, as the economist, that was him doing that. So I'm super, super hopeful um, for their economic situation, especially because he's got to pull them out of the COVID rut now. Yeah. Um, but if he can do the Bolivian miracle once, I'm hoping that he can pull the rabbit out of the hat again.
0: Yeah, there's, um, there's a lot that needs to happen. We'll talk about that here in a, in a little bit. But, um, you know, when when people want to kind of debate um, like the the physical prowess and, and merits of like socialist economies, you know, the first thing I think of is like, well, you know, maybe the United States should stop trying to overthrow them first.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, they made a bad decision. And it's like, do you know, they have a lot on their plate. You know, like, yeah, like the sanctions, like, come on, like,
0: (laughs) yeah, uh. yeah. Um, I mean, it's no secret that uh, the the United States uh, has sanctions uh, all over the world, including Latin America. I don't know exactly like what uh, the scenario is with uh, Bolivia at the moment. Um, But, uh, you know, if there's not an overt sort of economic pressure, then there's definitely like some covert shit going on behind the scenes. I mean, we've made no secret to that. Uh, thanks, Elon. <laughs> um, kind of, kind of bouncing off of that question, um, over and over again, uh, the U S and, and its allies and, and its media outlets have tried to paint Morales as, as, a dictator, uh, since well before the coup, how does this kind of line up with our reaction to other liberatory movements across Latin America, like in Cuba and in Venezuela, etc.? Um,
1: I think that, I mean, honestly, it's it. I assume it's just easy for the United States where if someone um, can get another term and we don't like them, they're a dictator. Um, as what we saw with um, what we saw with Ava, but we also saw uh, in Nicaragua when the Sandinista government got voted in again. Um, um, I was told uh, by someone uh, who was in special ops um, in the army that you were not allowed to discuss Daniel Ortega without like, or like his administration without calling it a regime, like an official oh. reports. Wow. Um, I think I'm allowed to say that. Yeah. But um, it's just, I guess it's just easy. Um, and it's also ironic because the dictator's, like pretty much all of the dictators that were in Latin America, we actually put them there and they were fascist dictators. Yeah. So it's like, anytime you overthrow a government, you can be called crazy insurgent rebel, all of the bad words, you know, uh, quote unquote. And if you actually, you know, change things and, um, especially things that we don't like and you liberate the quote unquote, the wrong people, AKA the people that if you liberate them, it's not good for, you know, neoliberal economics, um then of course you're a dictator and of course you're demonized
0: yeah exactly and um you know let's let's not you know pull any punches here right like the 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 word dictator does a lot of heavy lifting there uh, the okay. United States has installed fascist dictators uh, for generations all you got to do is look you know uh, uh, what under 100 miles off the Florida coastline um, you know we installed uh, Batista in Cuba and uh, you know Venezuela was a full on uh, corporate state basically responsible for, to US oil interest essentially before they nationalized their oil industry so dictators aren't always bad in the mind of the united states it's like it's like you said it just depends on what kind of dictator and and if the dictator lines up with the economic interests of western powers i guess and i think you you mentioned earlier like if somebody gets that much of the vote um like for example in, in bolivia and and it's built on a party of of this sort of massive coalition, you know, centered in indigenous people, uh, economic and political rights. Like that's that's not a dictatorship. That is a uh, that is a a people's movement.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what that is. Yeah, <laughs> that is exactly what that is.
0: Rising. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here in the Imperial Corps, like we just get this sort of filtered view of like who is and who isn't a dictator. And I think it's always important for us uh, to uh to ask questions of like, OK, who benefits, who loses and why? You'll find pretty quickly the answers don't always line up the way you think they do. Talk a little bit about uh, uh, Luis Camacho and uh, Janine Añez and the kind of weird right-wing uh, evangelical vibe uh, of that coalition.
1: Yeah. So um, to start, I'd like to say that Bolivia has the um, like the high uh, the highest percentage of their population um, of indigenous people, like of their country, um, in the continent of South America, um, and the majority of these indigenous people aren't Christians. The bourgeois and other upper class, whatever you want to call them are super Christian and they have a lot of money and they're white supremacists. Basically, there's not a lot. um, There's not a big Mestizo or mixed population in Bolivia either. Um, So they're just like, they're just like your, your good old like crazy evangelicals, like something that you maybe find, you know, here in the dirty South. (laughs)
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> Very but, kind uh, of like prosperity gospel Like that that sort of vibe
1: Yeah, and like purity um, Yeah, and things like that Like Just like super weird And um, uh, right when the coup happened Luis Camacho uh, busted into the uh, presidential palace With a Bolivian flag and a Bible And said, Pachamama nunca regresará al palacio Bolivia pertenece a Cristo Which means... Pachamama, who is the, um, who's the God of the earth or who's pretty much mother, mother nature, mother earth, um, um, will never return to this presidential palace and Bolivia belongs to Christ. All right. <laughs> like, like what? Fringing like, a little like, bit. You just like took power over an entire country and you're like, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus owns this country. Now we did. We killed so many people, you know, in your name, God. Like that's what you said to do in the Bible, right? Like, I don't. Like, it's crazy. Like they're just like they're just waving Bibles all around, the, and that's what you know. Anya was like half of her like press conferences and stuff. She'd be like, "Here's my Bible, you know. I love
0: Jesus." I have this this mental image of them like basically like the righteous gemstones, but in tanks
1: yeah yeah basically they're rolling up to like the massacres and being like Woo-hoo.
0: yeah Jesus. yeah and and let's you know i i joke but it's only to like insulate myself a little bit from some of the awful shit that they did and it's kind of a lot to process like there were massacres on the street of like indigenous people that were protesting. And I think if I remember correctly, uh, not only were there like, you know, massacres at the hands of the right-wing uh, state, but they also granted immunity to all the soldiers involved. Correct.
1: Yeah. Um, and the government would just say, um, they would they would go anywhere from like, oh, this person shot themselves, <laughs> um, to just like, sorry, it didn't happen. Man. And just completely erase it, um, with a couple, um, massacres in particular that I was doing some research on and it, it's just, it's super scary. And then when those people get taken to the hospital, um, there's a big issue with, you know, of course, just racism in general, but in, uh, the medical field, there's a lot of racism, just like we have in America, um, yeah. um, um toward the black population, um, toward the indigenous population in Bolivia. And so the people would just come in and they'd be like, have bullet wounds. And I read this story of um, when the ambulance even came, they were like running this, this guy's stretcher, like into things on purpose. Oh my God. After he just gotten shot and all this stuff. And it's just, it's, it's super eerie. It's super scary. Um, But you know, all, all in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah. uh, I don't get how that jives with a religion that prides itself on, uh, you know, love thy neighbor and uh, do one to others. Um,
1: yeah. Well, and how can you hate Pachamama? Literally all she is is, like, earth. Yeah. And the yeah. indigenous people are like, man, this earth gives us, like, it gives us food, you know, gives us place to live. It's very pretty. Look at those mountains. That that's just is just great. And then they're like, We don't want that here. And it's like, well, you're living on it. Like, that's Pachamama. Like (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. That that discussion could be like a whole series of episodes. (laughs) Surely. Just the uh just the 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 connections between like right wing prosperity gospel, evangelical Christianity, and like it's interesting to see all uh, a microcosm of all this and and kind of watch it unfold kind of from a distance basically as somebody that like you know i've I've never been in latin america and and everything I kind of know about this situation is is thanks to you and and just doing homework so yeah, it's interesting to see how this plays out in real time but also see some commonalities between uh, uh the evangelical movement uh, in South America and in North America. So earlier, uh, we were talking, uh, about, you know, the stack of shit to do for, <laughs> for <laughs> Moss. Uh, so what do you see in particular as the most urgent issue, uh, that Moss needs to tackle and why?
1: Um, I have a few, so they need to get back on nationalizing everything. I mean, they're going to, I think they've already started, but, um, um, so that's super important to regain what economic sovereignty they lost. Um, and, um, of course, COVID economic recovery on top of all of this, like the terrible things that Anya did, I think she just really wanted to just mess everything up. I think that was her goal. Um, and then they have to deal with the $330 million IMF loan that she took out right before the election, totally on purpose. Yeah. Um, And also, this is actually something that's been an issue for a very long time, and it's something that Salvador Allende was actually um, um, campaigning for, so to speak, um, which is to give Bolivia an entrance to the Pacific Ocean through either Chile or Peru Okay, um, so that they can um, do trade easier. And they're talking about it a lot more now. And the um, Chilean Communist Party, I follow them on Instagram and everything, um, they have been bringing it up. And um, Lucio and Evo have been bringing it up even more so lately too. So yeah, I think I think that that's a possibility. I think that's something that they should keep campaigning for. And I think that it would do wonders for their um, global economic power. But yeah, yeah, above all, nationalization, COVID economic recovery, and that that gosh darn IMF one. <laughs>
0: Yeah, thanks for uh, kind of filling me in uh, on, on all that. It really goes to show you how these political and economic issues kind of get stirred up, usually at the same time. And we just see that over and over again. Before we go, let's talk about uh, agrarian reform. You'd mentioned that a couple of times earlier in the uh, in our discussion and as we were kind of like doing our homework to get everything together. Um, so it seems like that's a really important pillar uh, for not only the broader left movement in Bolivia, but I think uh, in the episode description or the episode notes, you also, you included in red font in Latin America. And I'm like, okay, yeah, let's definitely, uh, let's definitely broaden that a little bit. Um, so can you give our listeners some discussion and some background on that?
1: Um, yeah, that was actually my personal note. Um, for oh, okay.
0: me to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> thought uh, you were like bones. <laughs>
1: yeah, screw you. No, I always made a little like key to be like the red is just for me.
2: But, um, <laughs>
1: um but yeah so um agrarian reform is a key pillar of the of the left movement in bolivia but as i as i put it is in all of latin america and it's very important um because um like i mentioned before um neoliberalism killed agrarian reform but agrarian reform was necessary because even as uh these countries were gaining um independence from spain um they were still paying no mind to the indigenous people who lived there. It was just, you know, um, Criollos, um, and, um, uh, Mestizos and just like, you know, Spaniards who were living there and everything, um, who were getting land and rights and all this stuff. And so even since way back then, all of these um, indigenous people were still fighting to get their land back. That was stolen in the first place in Mexico they actually incorporated before neoliberalism really kind of started um, into their constitution, um, Article 27, which was a massive agrarian uh, reform article that gave a ton of indigenous people um, land. And, you know, just overall at that point, food sovereignty and economic sovereignty because they were allowed to be farmers and do things like that. The second, that multinational corporations started um, uh, coming into existence, so to speak, and neoliberalism um, Introduced itself to the region, if you will. Um, they literally changed the Constitution to remove Article 27, mm. which is a huge deal. I mean, I mean, when have we removed any articles of our Constitution, you know? Yeah. Um, but um, it's just something like I mentioned before, indigenous peoples are they are their land and their land has always been extremely important to them. And, you know, without their land, they can't do what they've been doing for thousands of years, which is just. Farm and use resources um, in you know uh, in a way that isn't damaging to the planet and all of those kinds of things. So um, the reason why we would have these marches, like I mentioned before, marching hundreds of miles to the capital of Bolivia, was just so that they can they can get that back and so that they wouldn't see you know this land that they pretty much worship destroyed uh, just by greedy corporations and they understand the importance of the earth. Um, and that's one of the only ways that they can really maintain their culture. I feel like it would be very difficult to move to downtown La Paz and, um, still be able to, you know, continue on the traditions that your people have been for thousands of years.
0: As, uh, Papa Carl likes to say, you know, you know the people got to own the means of production, and uh, in, exactly. in Bolivia's case, the means of production is the land. I mean, it's tied to their culture, it's tied to their, it's tied to their indigenous religion, it's tied to uh, the economy. Um, and uh, you know, by attempting to privatize all of it, um, you know, they've been the the people in Bolivia have been uh, really put on their back foot, basically. And now is the time uh, for for Moss. And and the the coalition that won the election to take the power back. Um, Absolutely, yeah. All right. Well, uh, Ace, thanks again for bringing in your uh, your unique perspective, your your energy, your passion, uh, and uh, your you know, all that homework. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot to it's a lot to dive into. I definitely learned a lot um, both during this discussion and um, doing some research for it
1: wonderful um thank you so much Uh, i had a wonderful time as well um maybe you'll see me back when they uh try to when we try to coup nicaragua in 2021
0: so (laughs) well i i uh i hope before that um but yeah absolutely i'd love to have you on and and talk about uh uh, nicaragua in the future um but thanks again for uh coming out and um happy holidays thank you all right see you later
2: of oppression, for the tyrants fear your might. Don't cling so hard to your possessions, for you have nothing if you have no right. Or will die alone in our world, We're poisoned by exploitation. No sooner taken, no, no, no. they must.